Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Scripture today is Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 23. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This week around the world, rioters and looters continue to destroy our major cities. The protesters claim that they have a right to destroy statues and burn cities because they say that to be free means to be completely unconstrained by government. But if we look behind this claim, we will see a deficiency in their thinking. As philosopher Stephen Evans says, all of us value freedom, but American society all too often equates freedom as freedom from any constraints whatsoever. So freedom becomes the power to do what I want, to choose whatever I want, 
my freedom is infringed when the government tells me I cannot do exactly as I want to do. When freedom is understood in this way, every time I'm held accountable by someone, my freedom is diminished and my own self and happiness are constricted. Now, friends, if freedom isn't the ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want, without constraint, what is true freedom? The Bible says that true freedom is the ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. The essence of the Christian life, of following after Jesus, is freedom. Freedom from sin into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has been teaching us in Romans 6, 1 to 11, that being a Christian means that we have died to sin and been raised to righteousness with Christ through faith and baptism. This reality is not just figurative. It's not simply a happy, poetic way of picturing our relationship with God. It is the actual state of being a Christian. When someone trusts upon Jesus Christ and comes under his new management, going down into the water of baptism is like Christ entering into the grave. Coming up out of the water of baptism is like Christ coming triumphantly out of the tomb. Paul rightly understands the Christian life as incorporation into Christ. We have become united with him, grafted into Christ. When a tree farmer grafts a branch into a sapling, the branch and the sapling grow organically together. The branch shares the life and vitality of the sapling. In our pre-Christian experience, we were united with, grafted into Adam, and were under the reign of sin. The power of sin flowed into us and influenced us. But by faith and baptism, we became united with Christ, grafted into him, and incorporated into his glorified human body. Now, what does this mean? It is often commonly assumed that becoming a Christian means to adopt a new set of beliefs about God and Christ. A Christian would then be defined as someone who believes in Christ or worships Christ or tries to follow Christ's teachings. However, this way of thinking is wrong-headed because it ignores two fundamental principles of the spiritual life. The first fundamental principle of the spiritual life is that the act of God precedes the act of man. God always initiates. He is always prior, actively seeking relationship with men and women. In 1 John 4.10, the Bible says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son for us. The second principle of the spiritual life is that what we do flows from who we are. Our being precedes our doing. This is why true change comes not from external constraint or demand, but from inward transformation. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. 
you can lay out the inner coherence, consistency, and rectitude of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, but you can't coerce rebellious rioters to abide by these documents. That choice comes from within. Doing flows from being. Therefore, how are we to understand and define a Christian? A Christian is understood and defined not by what he does, but by what God does in and through him. A Christian is a person to whom something deep and mysterious has happened. He has been recreated, grafted into Christ. He has put on the perfect humanity, the redeemed human nature of Jesus Christ, by which divine life flows into our finite human lives. Remember that Jesus took upon himself our human nature, that he might sanctify it, redeem it, and recreate it by grafting it into his glorified, resurrected humanity. Ephesians 2, 4-6 explains, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are raised up with Christ to become seated with him in heavenly places. Now how can this be? because by faith and baptism we are joined together, grafted into, incorporated into the perfect, redeemed, glorified human nature which Jesus assumed in the Incarnation. This is why God became like man, that man might become like God. The Church Father St. Irenaeus said, What has not been assumed has not been healed. It is what is united to his divinity that is saved. John says in his first epistle that one day we shall be like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is. That is the glorious hope and promise of our destiny. Colossians 3.1 says, If you then are raised up with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is a sublime mystery, far too great for our finite human comprehension. We simply exalt in the wonder of the glory of the mystery, and we adore our mighty God. But Paul, in Romans chapter 6, is a wise man. He is also a good shepherd of souls. He knows human frailty. He knows that even with all that God has done within us through faith and baptism, yet we are susceptible to sin. We are susceptible to temptation and evil desires. Therefore, Paul provides the imperatives of our text in Romans 6, 12-23. In essence, what Paul is saying is, Christian, become what you already are. You have already trusted upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and been baptized. Now, manifest in your daily life the inner dwelling of Christ who has justified you and freed you from the power of sin.
It is our great privilege. It is the wonderful opportunity that we have to act out in our conduct what Christ has done in and for us. The imperative in the Bible always follows the indicative. God has done something for you. Now live out his good work within you. Paul sets up a contrast in verses 12 to 23 of Romans chapter 6 under two headings. The wages of sin which leads to bondage and the wages of righteousness which leads to freedom and life. It doesn't take very long in our experience to realize that sin has a desire to reign over us. The Holy Scriptures portray sin as an active force which entered into the world with Adam and has reigned over men and women since Adam. Sin's desire is to make you obey its cravings. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, evil desires and inclinations. Verse 21 says, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, the people of Paul's day would be very familiar with what he was saying. The word wages comes out of a military context. It was the regularly recurrent payment which a soldier earned through his own hard work. It was a wage that was due to the soldier and could not be withheld from him. This was not a one-time lump sum, but a wage paid over the entire time a soldier served in the military, the first and the fifteenth of every month. The idea behind wages is that the more a person serves sin, the more regular recurrent payment due that person in the form of death he earns. are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Continue our lesson.
the sober truth, friends, is that sin always leads to death. Sin begets sin, and a smaller sin soon begets a bigger sin. Verse 16 says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? There is a profound and wonderful contrast here. Yielding to sin always results in regularly recurring payments of death. Instead of receiving what is wholesome, life-giving, good, and beautiful, those who sin receive life consequences that produce death, alienation, turmoil, and conflict. I saw this principle repeatedly in my office when counseling military members as a Navy chaplain. Time and time again, military members and their families would come to see me complaining of personal pain and turmoil. My heart is broken. I feel betrayed. I am lost. I can't stop crying. My relationships are painful. When I explored behind the initial problem presented, what I often discovered is that this person has not followed the path of righteousness. They have not pursued what is good, true, right, lovely, and pure. Instead, they have ignored God's laws for right living and right relationships and are now experiencing the deathly, regularly recurring wages of sin. This is particularly true of those who gave themselves to a number of different partners only to realize that they felt used and unloved and didn't find the cherishing and commitment that they truly desired. By contrast, there is the profound and wonderful vision of being a slave, a servant of righteousness. Once you gave yourself to sin as a slave to sin and experienced deathly consequences, righteousness had no claim over you. But now you have given yourselves over to God as slaves of righteousness, and so sin no longer has any claim over you. This is the gift of true freedom. True freedom is to no longer be compelled to do wrong. It is exhilarating. We are free of the bondage of sin. We now have the privilege and joy of doing what is true, right, good, pure, and beautiful as we are grafted into Christ and receive his life within us. Paul illustrates this by drawing on the picture of slavery in the ancient world. When we think of a servant in the modern world, what comes to mind is someone who is hired for work he does during working hours. Then at the end of the day, the laborer goes home to enjoy some time off and do as he pleases. In Paul's day, a slave was the exclusive possession of his master. He was the possession of his master every moment of every day. There was no personal freedom. This is what made slavery so abhorrent. Slaves were treated as property, not as human beings created in the image of God. The pagan world was lawless in the sense that men's lusts were the only laws to be followed. In Rome, there were literally thousands of unwanted children, especially girls, some of whom were the children of slaves. 
these tiny babies would be left lying in the center of the city of Rome, much as female babies are left to die in the streets of China because of China's unjust one-child policy. So decadent was Rome that the men who ran brothels would collect these female babies and bring them up to be prostitutes to stock the brothels of the city. Immorality was so rampant in Rome that Justin Martyr told the men in Rome that they had every chance of visiting a brothel and having intercourse with their own daughter. Paul says to all the new baptized believers in the Church of Rome, You are now free from sin. You are free from uncleanness, iniquity, and fleshly lusts. You don't have to keep doing all the things that your pagan neighbors around you do. You can stop doing things that result in death because Christ has set you free. Through faith and baptism, you are a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. You now have become slaves of righteousness, and the result is holiness goodness, peace, purity, and in the end, everlasting life. So the question from the Roman Christians comes in verse 15 of our passage. How should we live our daily lives? With all the pressure of the debauchery and decadence of Rome around us, should we keep on sinning so that more and more grace can come to us from God? Paul says, absolutely not. That is a complete misunderstanding of grace. We are not put into a state of right relationship with God and given the gift of faith and baptism in order to gratify our own sinful desires. The question to be asking is, how do we continue in this new life given to us, provided for us by Jesus Christ? How do we keep the Christ life within flowing through us? Verse 16 says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Five times in these 11 verses, we find the word yield. Don't yield your body as an instrument of sin, but yield yourselves to God. Since God is our new master, he has exclusive possession over us. Just as sin reigned over us in our pre-Christian, pre-baptismal life and was an active force of unrighteousness, so God and Christ must reign over us and be an active force of holiness and goodness. Just as we cannot live our physical life unless we are in the air, and the air is in our lungs, so unless we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we cannot live the life of God. Pastor and spiritual writer Oswald Chambers says, If I am a slave to myself, I am to blame, because at a point away back, I yielded to myself. Likewise, if I obey God, I do so because I have yielded myself to him. The wages of sin bring bondage to self and lust. Yielding to God and receiving the wages of righteousness brings freedom, holiness, peace, and everlasting life. What is true freedom, my friends? 
True freedom is not what rioters and looters are modeling in our cities around the world. True freedom is not doing whatever I want whenever I want without constraint. True freedom is to be free from the power and bondage of sin to live a life of joy and peace in union with the living God. This is the glory of being a Christian. We are dead to sin, but alive to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep the Christ life going within, we must feed the new life in Christ. We must read the scriptures, pray constantly, and take communion for our spiritual benefit. We must read spiritual classics and constantly surrender our lives to our God and Savior. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we praise you that you have given us the gift of true freedom in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we are no longer in bondage to sin, but have been set free to live a new life in Christ. Continue to call lost sinners into a new relationship of union and communion with yourself. Open our eyes to daily enter into the glorious freedom of righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint. <laughs>